what a week. It's been so sad. And I kind of felt like I had a weird moment this week where, of course, I started crying in the car because I had a job down in Virginia. So I'm driving down Virginia and I normally go like down to 495. Mm -hmm. But my GPS took me like basically through D.C., but not like D.C., city thank god yeah oh, just like the, the highway that goes through and so i'm like driving driving and then all of a sudden like the washington monument just like rises out of the sky and i like look over and there's the capitol building and i was like she is there right now lying in state and like there is i just started crying in my car yeah. <laughs> because i was so i was sad and i was just felt honored to like be in any sort of proximity to her you right. know what I'm saying it's so weird too because she's kind of always been in proximity to us yes. like alive because that's where she works yeah but then it's also just like you I, you just don't she was still there like it was so I don't know it was yeah. a really sad sad week but also like an empowering week because I saw a lot of people be like hey you know what she, she yeah she passed away like all of us gotta step up yeah, there are other people. Yeah, who, there are who are strong and powerful and brave and like she did her due diligence. Like, yeah, for you, good for you. So, may her memory be a blessing. Love it. Mm. All right. Well, but we're not here to talk about Ruth. No, we already her. talked about her in a <laughs> twice now. Drunken episode, in a disaster um, of an I, episode. I hope everybody enjoyed that re-release because <laughs> I don't. When Allie and I finished recording that. We didn't remember the end of it. That was our first blackout episode. It was our first blackout episode where, like, because <laughs> I specifically remember, I was like, I'm really nervous about Minnie Mouse because I don't have much because, like, she's a freaking cartoon mouse. And you were like, great, I'll vamp a lot. <laughs> and then I did. <laughs> and you did. And, and we went on so many tangents. It was a mess. Um, but it's a great episode. And you know what? What better way to send her off than just a drunken mess and one of the worst tasting cocktails, frankly, we've ever that had. That we've ever had. <laughs> we need to redo hers. We do. I think at one, we will. We will. When we release the um, the little flashcard, we'll yes, redo it. Yes, Okay. But we're not here for any of that. No, 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 no. We're here for history. On the rocks. With Katie. And Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. And we talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. But just so you know, we're drinking the entire time. We are, and we are not historians. Absolutely We're not. professional Googlers, <laughs> professional drinkers, not professional historians. No, none of the above. <laughs> but we're here to bring you some fun facts tonight, and if there's anything you need to correct us on, just let us know, because again... <laughs> we're Googlers. So there might be some stuff that we get the date wrong. We get the name wrong. We get the pronunciation wrong. So please just reach out. Um, and we hope you enjoy it. And this is also <laughs> one of our many, many request episodes yes! from this season. Oh, we're doing all requests this season and I'm so excited. Um, so yeah, this is going to be a journey. It's going to be a journey, but the thing is you might also be on a journey. Oh, where, where to? <laughs> Maybe they're a NASCAR driver and they're just going round and round and round in this circle. Our show is very popular in the NASCAR world. Are you Denica Patrick? Yeah. Is that, <laughs> is that who's listening right now? Hello. Ms. Patrick. <laughs> welcome. Welcome. Thank you, Danica. We'll do an episode we'll on you. We'll do an episode on you. Can you, you call sure. in and request yeah. yourself? <laughs> Please. Uh, I think the Earnhardts also listen. Um, <laughs> but so you're driving your NASCAR. <laughs> Now, do you call it a NASCAR car or is it just your NASCAR? 
Oh, your race car. Your race car. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Yeah, yeah. NASCAR is <laughs> the brand. NASCAR is like the Kleenex of tissue. Oh. Know what I'm saying? NASCAR yeah. is like the brand name of the race car, I think. Okay. I don't know. The Our Midwest or, listeners. Midwest. Or I was thinking, is know. it like the NBA oh. of the race car? You know, like the name of the organization? Yeah, that's probably right. That but sounds then, right. Yeah. I don't know. What an odd place NASCAR is in in the world. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> you're doing that. You're busy so driving. You definitely can't look at your phone. So while you're racing around in circles, we're going to describe what these women look like so you have a portrait in your head. We're going to get a little physical, physical. All right, Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like? Okay, so I am doing the late queen, Catherine Howard. Uh-huh. Now, should I get into who requested her now or should I say it later? Say it later. Okay. <laughs> so the answer on what does Queen Catherine Howard look like is we don't know for sure. The only portrait of her that we have was a miniature painted by Hans Holbein. And we're not even sure if it's her. Not a half a bean? Yeah. Just a whole bean? Just a whole bean. <laughs> yeah, that's how his name is. Go ahead and make fun of it. He's probably dead. Okay. Um, we don't even know if it's her. Many historians believe it's her as it matches contemporary descriptions of her. The auburn hair, the pale skin, the dark um, eyes and brows. She, like her cousin Anne Boleyn, had onyx eyes. Um, in the picture, she's wearing like a dark red dress with puffy black sleeves and a head covering and has this beautiful necklace on, which is known to be part of the royal jewelry collection. Um, and she often wore like the latest French clothing a mm. quote about her at the time was that she was a young beautiful or a young woman with moderate beauty and full of grace there's also this chalk drawing of her kind of looks like her and madame tussaud has all of the wives of king henry the ah. in the london exhibit now there's a twofold problem here henry had a type so all of his wives kind of looked the same. Okay. So like it could have been Jane Seymour. The picture could have been Mary Tudor, which was his daughter. It could have been, you know, there's lots of people. And then most of her portraits were destroyed after she was executed. So that's why we don't have oh. anything. Okay. So that was long winded of saying we have no idea <laughs> if anything we have is actually what she looked like. All right. Well, there we go. <laughs> what does your woman look like? I am doing Madame de Lafayette. She is a handsome like soft looking woman she has a full face these kind of petite lips and her hair is kind of pulled back into this small curled ponytail and then the hair like around her face is kind of wispy and slightly curled um I gather from the picture that she has thin hair and <laughs> I know. Um, and in her portrait, she's kind of leaning in her hand in a deep thought. And she's wearing this beautiful dress with a plunging neckline. But the thing that gets me about her portraits is it's a lot of like soft lines. I don't know. Like she's kind of leaning and like instead of it being like ah, shoulder, ah, it's like just kind of flows. I don't know. It's a very like it, the whole picture just looks very soft. Like, I don't know. You look like you could get a really nice hug from her. Yes. Um, so that is what Madame de Lafayette looked like. That was a beautiful description. Thank you. I, <laughs> I really like that soft picture of her because I feel like she looks like a warm woman. She does. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, so are you ready to find out what you are drinking for the late queen? I am. It looks delicious. This is kind of the first official purple cocktail. Mm. I tried one for 
uh, Queen Victoria, and it didn't turn out purple like oh, I wanted yeah. to. Remember? Mm-hmm. So this one's like officially <laughs> the purple. The Frida Kahlo one also did not turn out purple. <laughs> I've been trying really long to get this to happen, and it's here. It's beautiful. I've made it. So this is called the penultimate queen, mm. and it is a take on a transfusion. So a typical transfusion is vodka, ginger ale, and grape juice. Okay. Um, but this is grape juice and vodka but instead of ginger ale i use ginger syrup and i put in exactly five frozen blueberries because she is the fifth queen so i'm putting all their heads in there now they all didn't get beheaded only two of them got beheaded um but i thought that we could put maybe i should have put the fit the sixth queen in there but we're not there yet no we're not there yet cheers Mm. do you love it i do it's funny because you think it would taste like blueberry but it just tastes like ginger Mm-hmm. And then just like a little bit of grape. Yeah. And it's one of those drinks where like when when I've had a transfusion like at a bar, you feel like you're having a juice box because it's just grape yeah. juice and ginger ale. So you feel kind of childish, which is also why I picked it because she was very young. Oh, I've never heard of that drink before. It's a recent one for oh, us. Okay. Um, the producer actually got served one at like a golf tournament tournament a little bit ago and was hmm. like, have you ever heard of a transfusion? And I was like, no, tell me more. Yeah. So. Here it is. It's delicious. I love it. Good. I love it. It feels like baby wine. <laughs> it is. It's, ba- <laughs> it's what you have at church when you're like first communion. Oh, my God. It's like Manischewitz. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so tell me what you know about Catherine Howard. Okay. So Catherine Howard, <clears throat> fifth wife, mm-hmm. <laughs> from what you just said. Um. So was she, she wasn't the one that like kind of cheated on him, right? She was. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought. Yes, okay. She was. Because she's the one that was like, I feel like I always interpreted her as kind of like the trophy wife of like, okay, now I'm going to get a young hot girl because he's only getting older. Yeah. That's exactly correct. Um, it's kind of like, what's that movie? Days and Confused. Mm-hmm. Henry VIII gets older and his wives stay, stay the, the same, same age. age. Um, Thank you, and- Matthew McConaughey, for delivering <laughs> for that, that line. Horribly creepy line. <laughs> Um, I feel like, yeah, she was kind of like the hot young thing. And then she's in the palace and she's like, oh, wow, I'd like to not have sex with him and actually have sex with this other person. That would be great, actually. Um, and but I don't think she was beheaded, right? No, she was. OK. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, my God. OK, so then she was beheaded. So that's what I know about Catherine Howard. Yeah. Poor Catherine Howard. <laughs> had such a, such a journey, such a hard journey. And yeah. when well, she's the Catherine of the K, correct? So Catherine first wife K. was Catherine of the C. C. Yeah. And Katie did Catherine of Aragon mm-hmm. a long time ago, probably in season two or three. And the reason yeah. I want to bring that up is the person who requested this is Sazzle underscore 42. And she technically asked us to do Kate Howard and Catherine Parr, who's also Catherine of the K. Mm-hmm. That's his sixth wife from the West End musical six. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, because of quarantine everybody's kind of shut down doing musicals and like stage performances so I haven't been able to see it and then it's also not streaming anywhere so I felt yeah. like I wouldn't be able to do that justice because you can see clips yeah but like getting a see whole musical thing. from clips isn't it's hard um I did look into it but I was like you know what once we can actually see it again then we'll do you and I can do it together we should do a round table on six the musical exactly that would be great okay so sazzle underscore 42 i'm sorry if this is not what you wanted but (laughs) i think it'll still be fun i also want to point out i know that there are people who requested anne boleyn for this 
season and she is scheduled for this season so we're not going to yes. pass over your request yes but i mean there all of these wives their stories are so dramatic we can't do like just like lump them all into one episode you can't you just can't they're it's too so juicy. much i too i was juicy. gonna do Catherine howard and Catherine parr and then i started researching Catherine howard and i was like this is it yeah uh, no nope. <laughs> <laughs> so okay let's get going okay. because we got some things to do okay through today's lens, Katherine Howard can be viewed a lot of ways. And depending on what book you read, you get a different view. She could be the victim of tragic abuse. She could be the adulterous whore wife. She can be the misguided youth, flawed but well-meaning. She could be an over-sexualized teenager. She could be a naive child with too much power. Or she could be the puppet of more powerful men. Whatever historian you read, they say a different thing. There is no consensus on her motives because we just don't have enough on her life. Yeah. But we do know she was a Howard. And the Howards, I'm going to take us back a little in the family tree, are an aristocratic family. She had dukes in her family, as everyone did back then. Their, the aristocratic families rose and fell in prominence. Sometimes they had a ton of money and were in charge of a lot of land, and sometimes they were thrown in the Tower of London to rot. But eventually, the Howards won their way back into favor, and one particular Howard had 12 children who were married off to other powerful families and raising their status all over England. So there's a, this is a big family okay. that she's a part of and a big name. Elizabeth Howard is one of their children. The reason Elizabeth Howard is important is because she birthed Mary, Anne, and George. Anne being Anne Boleyn. <gasps> yes, Anne Boleyn and Catherine Howard are cousins. What? They are cousins. That's insane. It I did insane. not know that. And they are the two beheaded queens. No way. Yes. That family. Oh I my know. God. Sucks for them. So one of these blueberries in our drink is for Anne Boleyn. Cousin. And That's one so is sad. for Catherine Howard. It really is. So the third child, not Elizabeth Howard, who's the mom of Anne Boleyn, the third child and the second son of this duke was Edward. This is Catherine's dad. Edward is a bit of a disaster. He's super in debt. He's bad with money. Usually all of your money went to like the oldest son. So mm -hmm. he's the second son. So he marries this woman who he thinks is going to help make him money and dowry. But she actually just brought him more debt because she already had five kids with her previous husband. Oh my goodness. And then he has six more with her. Oh, my God. Yeah. That poor woman. No, eleven. They could have had a show on TNZ. The what Duggars. Is what the is Howards. That? What is that channel? TLC? T yeah. TLC. TLC. <laughs> I think I mix mix those them in TMZ. It's pretty close. Okay. Pretty close. TLC. And, and I mean, seriously, it was crazy. And Catherine was one of those like second six children, but the debts mounting. And then you know he gets married a second and third time after his wife dies, and that just the debt just keeps pouring in. So he basically has to abandon all of his children. And here's where we Whoa. can talk about Catherine. Okay. She's noble, but she's not royal. So we don't know the year of her birth. Hmm. Somewhere between 1518 and 1525. But this is a really big deal and really problematic because her age really does matter in certain parts of her story. Yeah. It matters what age she was married. It matters what age she started having sex, whether or not she was taken advantage of. And the problem is we just don't know. We can all guess, but we don't know. Right. Because like a 13-year-old 
marrying King Henry VIII is much different than like an 18 year old. Yeah. Like what the fuck? It, and that's it's, so sad. It's hard because you, you just we were painting either her as a victim or the people around her as villains. And it's not fair for either party to do that. Yeah. So we don't really know what the situation is, especially when we look at it through a 21st century lens where like all of this child marriage is just absolutely ridiculous. Oh my gosh. So there is a seven year difference in the narrative, but the most recently agreed upon date is 1522. Okay. We know nothing about her childhood or her place of birth or her early life because again, she was a noble, not royalty. Uh, One of the historians said, except for the accident of her becoming the queen consort of England, Catherine would have become one of the many women who lived and died without ever leaving their mark on history. Like her reign was just a complete bogus accident and we don't even know why it's happening. So there's a lot of sources about her. Like I said, some of the ones I looked into were there's these two books, The Confessions of Catherine Howard and Young, Damned and Fair. And then the Queens of England podcast is great. And then Long May She Reign is another great podcast. If you are interested in royalty in England, the amount of podcasts with beautiful accented people is like (laughs) through the roof. It's so good. So we it's likely she was born in Lambeth. Her mom died when she was somewhere between five and nine, and she was farmed off to the monarch of the family, who is Agnes Howard. She was her step-grandmother, and she was the Dowager Duchess of Norfolk. She's the fourth highest-ranking woman in the kingdom. So now this woman is in charge of her. Some say she's a super strict disciplinarian. Others paint her as with having good intent, but no follow through. Mm. So by the time Catherine arrived, there were scores of little nieces and nephews living there. Because remember, there were like 12 siblings and all of them couldn't pay for their children. So scores of little kids and 100 servants. And the Dowager Duchess is not paying attention to any of them. So (laughs) Agnes is just kind of off somewhere else. Okay. Um, it's super similar what happened to other noble girls throughout the kingdom. So it sounds weird to just ship your kid off, but they did this. They would live in big dormitories with like one bed and these girls were trained to be maids to the queen. They were noble women. They were trained to go to court and they would learn to serve and follow orders and, you know, do all the royal proceedings. Many people hate Agnes for how she treated them, but this was really common. The biggest reason to hate her is neglect. As we go through the story, Agnes did not teach Catherine the things she needed to do to be in court and that's probably why she got beheaded she Mm. did not know the proper way to handle things probably that like really sucks when one person could have made such a difference but like I feel like there's almost a tradition in England to be like we don't talk about shit so let's not you know and it's like yeah like I and I don't know I'm not British but I kind of feel like that's what I've heard of them like oh yeah just shit 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 shit. no let's not talk about it like fine and then even if it's like that I need to know that information I need to know not to have sex with the king like right whatever (laughs) and it's also weird because you know of all the hundred girls at that place could could Agnes have known she was having to groom this one to be queen no no that's also like that's a lot of girls it is it could have been any of them it yeah. could have been anybody from another country even you know what i mean there's just no way to know who's going to be pulled up next to be beheaded so i also <laughs> think it's an underestimation of what girls can do and like for sure it, like i just feel like the also general consensus was like girls don't amount to anything unless you're born with a title So it's like, why are we even worrying about these girls? Yeah. And the weird thing about Catherine is she was kind of treated like 
crappy because she's a noble at this big dormitory place. But then she also was the highest ranking girl in the dormitory. So also like people had to stand when she walked into a room and stuff like that. So she's yeah. kind of getting both ends of the stick. So she lived in the maiden's chamber and her schooling was reading, writing, learning how to stand, learning how to dance, learning how to move so that you would please the way around you. Okay. Like the people around you. There's no specific education. So in 1536, Anne Boleyn is executed. That's her cousin. Um, Catherine is about 13, 14. Okay. It's not that she knew Anne Boleyn. They didn't like right. hang out, but it's a family member that's getting beheaded. She was the queen. And it's for, as we'll go into later in this season, when Katie does Anne Boleyn, it's for suspected adultery. Like there's not proof of that. Yeah. Um, but around this time that she's 13, 14, she begins taking music lessons and her teacher is Henry Mannix. Now he could have been in his late teens, early twenties, but some historians place him in his 30s. And this is critical, again, because he took more than a professional interest oh, no. in Catherine. He could be seen as a popular boy that flirted with all the girls or a sexual predator. Also, on the low end, they're five or six years apart in age while she's about 13. Um, but also, nobles at that time got married at 12 and we're having babies Ugh. at 15 so it's like you know this is definitely too young to probably be sexually active but also it wasn't abnormal then and I'm not trying to excuse him but I also don't want to like paint him as a child abuser when that might not be true right and especially because what I'm about to say kind of makes it seem like she was in control of the relationship um because she was of higher rank than him but I do not want to discredit anybody who believes that Catherine Howard was sexually abused as a 13 year old girl because I am with you. Like I right. hear you yeah. and it is a definite, definite possibility. And that is a narrative that you can absolutely read. Yeah. Go for it. Oh my God. This is, it, I feel like it's the worst kind of choose your own adventure book. Yeah. <laughs> of really like is. The whole thing is like The this. whole thing is terrible. It's like, no matter how you read it, mm -hmm. like you're in lava yeah, like you're incriminating not, somebody you're incriminating somebody it's not good nobody's having a good time in 1500s england like terrible no and i mean she's she's beautiful and as far as we know she often let things go too far like i said she was higher rank than mannix which meant that she often made him uh, according to details we got resort to begging to get some sort of physical relationship from oh, her no. but she seems like she was in control because she never let it go all the way she never had sex with Mannix um the affair was kind of an open secret in the house but one night Agnes Howard the grandmother walked in on them fooling around they definitely got to third base we think and she said that they would not be allowed to see each other again but then had no follow-through so the relationship continued for another year oh my goodness uh at her trial, at Catherine's quote-unquote trial, she, it wasn't a real trial. It was her um, giving a confession. She said, At the flattery and fair persuasion of Mr. Mannix, being but a young girl, I suffered him at sundry times to handle and touch the secret parts of my body, which neither came to me with honesty to permit nor him to require. So, okay, take that as you will. Okay. <laughs> it all ended, though, when he was told by a girl in the you know dormitory look you can't marry her she's a higher station than you pass this up just like fucking move on dude and this is what he said and this is a quote 
Hold thy peace, woman. I know her well enough. I had her by the cunt, and <gasps> she has said to me that I shall have her maidenhood, though it be painful to her. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, no. 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 None don't, of that. Don't say that. No. No I C hate word. That. I hate it, too. I almost um, want to bleep it. I also... it. I had like a, I feel like I had like a gut wrench reaction to it because it sounded almost verbatim. What Donald Trump what said? What Donald Trump said. That's of what like I felt. And just the thing of like, I can picture that conversation of her being like afraid for other reasons and being like, just kind of passing it off as like, I'm afraid because it might hurt, mm-hmm. you know, but really she's like, I'm afraid because I'm not fucking ready, yeah. you know? And then be like, well, it's going to happen anyway. So, like, like, get ready. Let's have sex. Like, what the fuck? Like, oh, my God. This is making me so sad. It is sad. And those words spread through that little, like, dormitory area. Like, the whole household, like, wildfire. And Catherine hears them and is shocked (gasps) and dumps him. She's like, I cannot believe that you would say shit like that about me and, like, spread it. I'm much higher ranked than you. And... This kind of hints that it maybe wasn't sexual abuse, but also maybe it was. Yeah. Like, but there's just like a, when those words came out of his mouth, she was like, nope, enough. So that relationship ends and now enters Francis Durham. He had already had his way with many of the young girls in Catherine's chamber. Who are all these guys coming in? What are they doing there? Well, they all, well, Manx was teaching music and Durham like tends to the cattle, but is of high rank. So he's also there for a similar reason. But the thing is, and this is what I'm going to say. They're both being like paid to be there. Yeah, which, they're doing their jobs. Yeah. Which I feel like, okay, they're being paid to be there. So that automatically puts a weird spin on things because like I understand that she's of a higher nobility, but he's also in a they're also in like teaching and like authoritative positions. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's there's so many I feel like I'm walking into 10,000 booby traps. It is. It's it's really every single second of her life is a booby trap from the moment that she gets to Agnes's house until she's beheaded. There's oh no way out God. of her situation. There's just, and there's no good decision she can make. She, she can't because all the decisions she makes turn out bad. Um, so it kind of seems like in her chamber, there's like a parade of men coming in and out. Durham is 23 when Catherine became involved with him and he's still in his she's still in her mid to late teens and like we said he was of lower status but because he would work with the cattle all day and whatnot he would raid the kitchen with his boyfriends like all the bros oh yeah and they would get food and wine and cheese and bring it up to the maiden's chamber and have just like fool around sex parties oh my god up there and we don't know how long their relationship lasted, but it was definitely deeper than she and Mannix. It started with enchanting gifts to show affection, and then it progressed to all the way sex. And she lost her virginity to him, as far as we know. She later said that... Her maidenhead. Her, her maidenhood. <laughs> her maidenhead. Um, yeah, virginity. So, <laughs> it's a construct. She later said that she only had sex with him for four months. Um, and Agnes knew they were involved, but not that they were having sex. But it was said that Catherine was so far in love with him. And they even, like, called each other husband and wife. They were like, oh, hey, hubby. Aww. Like, it was like a cute little relationship. But this girl, Alice, was like... Catherine, like, 
you need to fucking chill, my girl, because what if you get caught? What if you get pregnant? Because at yeah. that point, virginity is the most important thing in the marriage department for a noble. And they just watched a fucking queen get beheaded right. over suspected adultery. And she's like, you can't. Her friend Alice had her head on her shoulders and was like, you can't do this. And then Mannix comes back in the picture and he's pissed because she wouldn't have sex with him, but she's having sex with Durham. So he besides decides to become a tattletale and goes and tells Agnes and Agnes completely loses control um, and like freaks out at them for having sex and whatnot. But again, very little follow through. So Durham really believed that he could marry Catherine, even though he's of way lower status Mm. and he keeps asking her and asking her and asking her and according to her she never agreed to any pre-contract but at that point in history if you had sex and you called each other husband and wife and other people heard it then that was like an engagement ring oh my god so she was pre-contracted to francis durham before Henry, which so is she's basically like legally engaged. It is a big problem because oh, she was legally engaged God. to somebody other than the king. But she leaves him when he keeps pestering her about getting married because she's like, no. So apparently she never said yes. Late 1530s is where we are now. Anne of Cleves is on her way to marry Henry VIII because okay. Jane Seymour has died. He waited an appropriate amount of time. He really did more than Jane Seymour, Henry VIII, because she had a son and he was very proud of her. And then she died in childbirth. So mm. that was sad. So Anne of Cleves is on her way. They're going to get married. He's had a couple Catholic wives, a couple Protestant wives. Now he's creating the Church of England. You know, two of his wives have been selected from the Queen's maidens. So now the Howards are like, let's get some girls in that chamber with Anne of Cleves, like just in case. Right. She... Catherine becomes one of the three girls sent to the chamber of Anne of Cleves to ensure that if something happens, you know, they're moving up the chain. It's her and um, Mary Boleyn. Well, Mary Boleyn's daughter also goes and Mary Norris, uh, who I don't know anything about. So many say there was an immediate connection between Catherine and Henry, but I just don't believe that was true because, like I said, he mourned over Jane Seymour for two years and then Anne of Cleves was coming and she was supposed to be this beautiful maiden from Germany. That didn't turn out well, but Catherine... So can I ask a quick question about Cleves? So is Cleves like the place she was from? I believe so, yes. Anne of Cleves, or it could have been her family, but she was coming from Germany, and she was supposed to be this beautiful maiden, but she... Was she, like, a princess or anything? I or? believe so. She's the She is a princess, but she... Okay. It was, like, a contract between England and Germany, and I could be mistaken because I didn't do huge research on her, but what okay. I do know is she got there, and the king was very disappointed with her appearance, and then tried yeah. to break off the wedding before it happened, but then had the wedding and then had it annulled like four months later. Oh, my gosh. But she got to live. Well, that's good. Yeah. She's one of the few that like got out of Dodge. Oh, my God. So, OK. I don't know. Poor Anne of Cleves. It was a very short lived. She got to get out yeah. of there, though. So Catherine's new job under Anne of Cleves was to be a lady of honor. She was supervising servants in their day-to-day tasks. She had access to the queen's private rooms. And, you know, this was the splendor of this was nothing compared to her old life. She fit in so easily. Her grace and charm and, like, flirtatious nature got her everywhere she wanted to be. And big surprise, her first act in the palace was to find a new man. Mm. In comes Thomas Culpepper, her sixth (laughs) cousin. (laughs) Culpepper. Culpepper. Um. 
He's handsome. He's athletic. He's a ladies' man. And also, Henry VIII loved him. He was like, oh, that's how I used to be. I see myself in this guy. Because remember, Henry VIII was like a stud yeah. in the beginning. Go listen to the Catherine of Aragon episode. It's so good. Katie, you did such a good job. Thank you. Because one of the things I found in my research that absolutely blew my mind was that like Henry VIII was this like strapping young gentleman so good at everything everyone and then, loved him and then he had this horrible accident and he had this he had basically an open wound on his leg for like the rest of his life yeah and brain and it, damage, like probably yeah it, brain damage and it like totally fucking ruined his life and he was also again as we like to say riddled with syphilis <laughs> he really was um, <laughs> side sex <laughs> um but but yeah it, it's very like i could totally see him just like being like i'm gonna live vicariously through you yeah through thomas culpepper <laughs> my my young strapping young lad um but you know thomas and Catherine, they flirted he pursued her she turned him down he pursued her again she turned him down but she let him get a little bit further each time but he was used to women falling at his feet. So right. she was playing coy. So he just like moved on with other women and she was heartbroken. She loved him and she didn't want to ruin it by having sex too soon. Oh. I think that she was trying to change her ways. Yeah. So like we said, and castle knew me. Yeah. <laughs> new castle, <laughs> new century, new me. Um, <laughs> Anne of Cleves had arrived and Anne was obviously present for the wedding and the feast and the bedding ceremony and <laughs> the gossip about the non-consummation and how he didn't have sex with her and then all the rumors about the king being impotent and then the trial to annul from this woman where they had to prove that he was having nocturnal emissions. Like, oh my God. It's just awful. It was like, oh, he can have wet dreams, but he's not going to have sex with Anne of Cleves. So he clearly is an impotent, but he just doesn't want to have sex with her so on all the marriage shit real weird yeah so two male members of Catherine's family start pushing to make her the next queen this is norfolk and gardner i'm not going to say their names again even though they're hugely involved in this story it's too much Catherine could have been their puppet or she could have been playing along she could have been playing the cards with them i don't want to play her as stupid like she was an idiot because we don't know that that's true right henry started to spend more and more time with Catherine. he visited her lodging some believe they started sleeping together but probably not because if they did he would have just made her another mistress but the women who kind of held off he ended up making queens okay um so the marriage gets annulled and now they begin the proceeding to make Catherine the queen the howards are thrilled but all of them are like not making eye contact with the king yeah. because they know that she's contracted to francis durham they're like she's engaged oh, dude you god, like i forgot about him already so some of the young girls at agnes's house start writing letters to Catherine, and they say hey i'd love to be a maid in your court especially because i know all of the things <gasps> they're blackmailing her that you did all of these young girls start blackmailing her to be a maid in the court of the queen so she lets them all come she brings the lions into the castle i was just going to say like Jesus. they could have just been away and she could be being like they're just fucking jealous because like i'm gonna be the queen and they're stuck at 
Agnes's place. Like, do not bring them here. Don't bring them there. They're just going to stir up trouble. Yo, that is when you pay a doctor to examine you and say you're a virgin. Oh yeah, that's when that happens. Like, yep. girl, think ahead. Oh you already God. saw somebody be beheaded for this. <gasps> they get married in a small private ceremony. Only a few ladies and gentlemen present. It was July twentieth, which is the day before my anniversary. So good job, guys. Fifteen forty. Most important thing is Catherine did a good job on her impression of being a virgin that first night. Oh. And Henry left the room very happy the next morning. Henry was about 50 years old when they married, when he married this teenager. Oh my She's God. still a teenager. And um, he was not the man he once was. He was balding. He was overweight. He had the horrible, like, ulcerous yeah. on his leg. He had gout flare-ups which would make him like super pissed and angry but you know he's married to this woman and she's gonna play her part she knows he's executed friends and wives and relatives and everyone knew they had to walk on eggshells around him but Catherine was like Meh, no oh. tact no tact here I don't give a shit because oh. she just didn't get it she wasn't old enough to get that like your life is on the line my girl I feel like she was relying too much on like he's just gonna be so grateful to have like a young hot wife that like nothing I'm not going anywhere I can't get in trouble I yeah it's, oh it's probably exactly what she was thinking but all did go well at first she was right right after they got married it was a great relationship she was young and beautiful and playful and this made him happy he felt like he had a pretty young wife that he deserved like you said earlier he gave her constant gifts jewelry all the time he showered her with more gifts than any of his other wives and people said they had never seen the king in such good spirits she and all the howards were given gifts and land and everything i feel like this is his midlife crisis it is oh yeah absolutely so (laughs) lady rochford was the highest ranking lady that Catherine had and becomes her best friend but this is also the woman whose testimony got uh anne boleyn beheaded so this is probably a dangerous best friend to keep uh plus like we said all the ladies from agnes's house are there come on cat (laughs) <laughs> like kick better friends <laughs> my girl <laughs> but she was young and alone and not at home and she needed familiar faces she was 18 and among all these old men like what was she gonna do so Catherine, as a queen was okay her youth and beauty got her by but she was not getting pregnant now she was only queen for 16 months but she would not be crowned nor coronated because you had to get preggers <gasps> oh um little diplomatic advantage with other countries because she wasn't from another country. So like nobody was like, oh yeah, stay married to her because you know, we don't want to piss them off. Right. She was not a super religious woman. She went and prayed when she was supposed to, but she wasn't pious and that also pissed off the church. Mm. And as far as her influence, she wasn't really recognized. She didn't have an heir. She was without a super high family, but she tried. She got along with Princess Mary, who we know is Bloody Mary. And, mm-hmm. you know, Mary got a little pissed sometimes because she was super fun and, like, about her age. And Mary was, like, super serious. But they at least got along. And then she also got along with Princess Elizabeth, the daughter of Anne Boleyn, who was to be Queen Elizabeth I. So, like, she's at least trying to extend to these heirs and be like, hey, let's all, like, be a happy family again. I feel like this is just that thing of, like, when your dad marries someone who's your age and like 
you're like, we could be friends, but I also kind of fucking hate you because my yeah. dad should not be marrying teenagers. Like, he shouldn't be. There's this whole thing. It's just, there's so many layers to it. And like, it's hmm. weird, but I mean, Catherine Howard got her, Mary, restored full-time living in the castle. Oh. Because she had been exiled with her mother, Catherine of Aragon. Right. Now, she didn't get restored as heir until Catherine Parr. Catherine Parr kind of completed the job. But Catherine Howard started it and was like, listen, let's bring these girls back. Like, why are they living, like, in shit? Like, yeah. they shouldn't be. They're princesses. So she was trying to get them back in. Then, my stupid, stupid friend. <laughs> she invites uh, Frances Durham, her previous fiancé, to be her private secretary. What? What an idiot. I'm sorry. Come on, Catherine. That is a blatantly ridiculous move. Dangerous and stupid. I don't know if she thought maybe if I keep him near me, I can control him. That's the problem is she's bringing all of her enemy. It's just kind of that thing where, you know, she's trying to live by the adage of like, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Yeah. But like, it's actually not a good thing because you're just literally bringing them into the castle where everything could go to shit. She's living off of movie quotes. Yeah. And movies didn't <laughs> exist. So I don't know why. But still the doctor ca- who got to her. God, he, he was did. like, here are some quotes to live by. But listen, I can help Damn you. Damn him. The king was so amorous of her. He loved her so much. And Catherine, from what we could tell, actually did really kind of like him at first. Like yeah. she was kind of into him. But she had a lot of enemies. Like we said, there's a lot of people that hate the Howards. There's religious zealots who don't like her. Um, There are people from her home, you know, chambers who are like, she's a slut. (laughs) And, you know, she let all these people in with her. And, you know, she starts to let her ladies act the way they did at home. They, she starts allowing them to flirt and have sex with the men in the court. And she even lets one of her maidens have an affair with her brother. And then she has one of her maidens have an affair with William Parr, who is like Catherine Parr, related to Catherine Parr, who's oh about to God. become the queen. And the queen's job was to keep her maidens in check. And she's failing mostly because she didn't fucking care if these women were having sex she was like let them have sex which like good honor like that's right. a fine thing to do but it's i mean you're gonna lose your head over it yeah. so like maybe i mean my like whole people's thing, lives are at stake yeah my whole thing is if you have skeletons in your closet keep it closed like yeah you, what she's like blatantly sharing it with everybody in her court and it's just i I don't know why she made those decisions. Maybe, like you said, she thought she was invincible to Henry. Like, I can do something that none of his wives could. I don't know. I mean, she's just passing through life like Steve Urkel. Like, she's still in college. Just like, did I do that? I didn't. Did I? No. Come on. Come on. No. I'm I'm the lovable scamp. I'm just, you know, I'm here. I'm having a good time. My maidens are being wild, but it's cute. It's cute when I do it. It's really cute. Like, and everybody's like, no, it's not. You're the fucking queen. It's not cute. Your job is to be pious. (laughs) You're not being pious. (laughs) Like, that's the number one thing you learn in queen school. Yeah. (laughs) Like, don't flaunt your sexuality. It's like, I missed that class. I missed it. I was having sex with. (laughs) I missed that class. Manix, Durham. I don't know. One of them. So, oh, man. Agnes, obviously, her grandmother knew about Durham. She knew 
and tried to save her own butt. So she starts covering tracks and burning letters and creating deniability. And Durham, of course, knew. But if he told, he'd be signing his own death warrant. So what's he going to do? He's still in love with Catherine and he just could not play his cards right. And like, I don't know. And, you know, Thomas Culpepper's also still in court. (laughs) He's there. But winter was the high time for her. But then in late February... Henry became ill and people thought he might die. He was in a really bad mood because when any of his illnesses flared up, he became really angry and he was angry and yelling at Catherine and he would often scare her. And then he banned her from seeing him altogether. Maybe he was like embarrassed about himself and like, he's like, I don't want to see this young hot queen right now. Like I don't need that. Or maybe he was just like super annoyed at everybody, but this was different. She didn't like this. She wanted him showering her with gifts she wanted to be the queen she wanted to be treated special and he just wasn't doing it anymore so this continued all through lent and easter from way back in the winter and you know she also started to push away from the men in her family who had brought her to court like those big hottie toddy guys who were like let's make her the queen Mm -hmm. and she was like i don't want them bossing me around anymore so that pissed them off and then you know lady rochford her still bestie uh, would never, ever turn Catherine down. And she actually makes Catherine's behavior worth because instead of saying, no, my queen, you probably shouldn't do that, your grace, she was going, shot, 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 <laughs> shot, shot, shot. <laughs> she was like ready to party. God, she's the rowdy bridesmaid. Yeah. She is the one that's I, like, I there. want you to vomit <laughs> on your wedding day. I want you to spill red yeah. wine <laughs> on your dress. I'm going to make it happen. The pictures will be great. And I just, so this was just a bad pairing. She's also like 30, uh, which is fine. And Catherine's like 15. So, you know, which she wasn't 15. She was like 16, 17, 18. But it, she was like twice her age yeah. and like, you know, had more experience. So she should have been like, hey, girl, cut it out. Yeah. So, who, Catherine makes it a rule that no one can come in her room without permission from Lady Rochford, which looks really bad because they all used to live with her and know she bangs boys. And then Durham also starts being a dick and he would just come into the queen's presence and sit down while everyone else is standing. Oh, that, you know, he would just sit and be like, Oh, she didn't invite us to sit. That's fine. Being like, I fucked you. I can sit wherever I want. And she's like, Oh, well great on this. (sighs) Then the hot, Thomas Culpepper comes back onto the scene and he is close to Henry. They are boys. And not only is he a bit of a player, but he's also a bit of a womanizer. There is a story that he raped this wife of somebody in a thicket while his men held her down. So (gasps) we don't really like the behavior of Thomas Culpepper. Um, And he's also about five years older than Catherine. Now, When Henry was being a meanie, the two become reacquainted from their earlier flirting. They have this, they had that brief fling back in the day where they were back and forth a little. And Lady Ratchford starts arranging for them to meet in private. This woman cannot be trusted. No, she cannot. She's like Linda Tripp. I I was trying to remember that woman's name and I just could not. She's Linda Tripp. Yes, she absolutely is. You were supposed to be helping Monica. (laughs) The worst. Okay. Bring down Bill, not I know. Monica. Mm. Okay. God. Okay. <laughs> so, um, she's arranging for them to meet, and she goes to this first meeting and presents 
Thomas with a gift because that's what you did back then to show affection. And he's like, why didn't you do this when you were a maiden? You kept like playing coy. Like I liked you. And now you're married to the king. Like, what do you want me to do? He gets like pretty pissed and stomps off. He's like, I really liked you. I was like, I would have probably married you. You were like in the courts. And now you're now you're married to the king. And what do you want me to do? You want me to kill myself to be to, to have sex with you? But he does. So then I don't know. Neither neither of them are technically wrong what she's doing. She can give him gifts. He gets sick and she sends him like a letter like, I hope you get better. Neither of those things are wrong. Yeah. But it looks bad. It's like if you're out at a bar and you post a profile picture and it's you and another dude. It doesn't say you did anything, but it looks like you did something, which is not okay. Well, it kind of feels like she is emotionally cheating right now. She is. She's because her husband is yelling at her. I cannot feel worse for her. She's a teenager maybe 20 and her husband's yelling at her. She's not allowed to see him. She's got all these girls around her who are being catty and don't like her. And she's just trying to go to this man <sighs> who brought her comfort a couple years ago. Yeah. She doesn't know what to do. And oh my it's just awful. But then we don't know exactly when, but their affair begins. And lady Rochford is a key player. She would scope out spots for them to have sex and private meetings. And then she would like stay in the room and like pretend to take a nap so that Catherine and her could walk out together and then Thomas could leave later. She's a key player in making sure that all this happens. Okay. Eventually, they both tell each other they love each other. This is treason. She's breaking the law. If you are denying the king, that's one thing. But now you are bringing the secession into danger because if you have a child with this man then that baby has a right to the throne which is puts her in grave grave danger yeah why did Culpepper do this he knew he knew he might die does he want Catherine to die is it part of a greater conspiracy did he think oh the king's sick maybe if I'm already have this relationship with the queen I could rise to the top or did he really just like her we don't know oh my god we have no idea why he did this because it seems really fucking stupid the longer they were together um the less they were private about it they begin openly and blatantly flirting and like flouting their love affair which is super stupid and then Thomas gets sick again and she sends him an impassioned love letter. Oh my and God. it says things like, I hate every moment I'm away from you. I miss you. I wish you were with me right now. And signs it, yours as long as life endures, Catherine. Cat. Come, Come on, girl. On. Kitty cat. You know that letters always find their way. And I'm going to tell you the unfortunate part of this tale is he doesn't burn it immediately. Burn that immediately. Thomas, burn the letter. Why did he keep it? I don't know. Maybe he wanted a claim to the throne. He knew Henry was old. He knew he might die. I like it just seems very weird. Well, there's this guy named John and he hated the Howers and he was home on winter break and he found out that Catherine was quite a slut when she was living with Agnes. And I am saying slut in his words, not in mine. Slut shaming is horrible. She had sex with one man and fooled around with another. That does not make her a slut. She was a teenage girl 
No. Also, girls can do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah. Like, what the hell? I and mean, the also, o- it might have been assault. Right. Exactly. <laughs> we don't so, know. But he thought she was a slut. So I oh have been God. using that word loosely, but it's the way that many people describe her. And it's yeah. not fair. It's not. Not at all. Um, It's the same way with like Cleopatra had sex with two men. Right. And she is the historical. The whole of, the whole yeah. of history. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Mm. So frustrating. It's very unfair because, I mean, King Henry VIII. I haven't mentioned this is having sex with many women on the side. I yeah. All of his mistresses. Yeah. He's gotten some of them pregnant. He had many boy children that weren't his direct heirs. So he couldn't use them because they were like with mistresses, whatever, maybe not many, at least one. Okay. So he finds out about Catherine's past and he needed proof because you could get life in prison. If you accuse the queen of something and it's not true. So he leaves a letter for King Henry on his pew at mass and Henry really liked Catherine. So after he read it, he's super skeptical. He, I really think he liked her. He was like, listen, do a discreet inquiry. I don't want her to know. I don't want the public to know. Like, I don't want to hurt her feelings. Like I, I kind of like this girl, which is super sad because she was cheating on him. Um, and the man says to him, listen, I have no pleasure in doing this, but it's my duty, which is like covering your own ass in case you're wrong. I know. So they just need to find people to agree. First stop is back at Agnes's house and they find Mannix under very little pressure. He goes, yeah, I had a relationship with Catherine, but she didn't bang me. Go ask Durham because oh. he's pissed at Durham. So yeah. he's trying to get his ass under fire. Durham, again, under very little pressure and perhaps like an idiot, goes, yep, I've kindly known her and gives them dates and names and details. <gasps> Everything. Because he's pissed because now she's banging Culpepper. And he he had a contract to marry her. And he's like, well, fuck this girl then. Other women from Agnes's house and other dudes go, yeah, she was definitely having sex before she married the king. No one at this point knew about Culpepper. No one at all. Nobody brought him up. The king didn't know. The royals that are investigating didn't know. Only trip. (laughs) God, (laughs) Um, Everything she's getting accused of is before marriage stuff. And the biggest problem is the engagement thing. Because if she was engaged, then her whole marriage to the king has been invalid. So a council of dudes meet with Henry. And they bring in Agnes. And she brings in everything she has. Letters and diaries. Because they make her. She probably burned the most incriminating stuff. But... These are not trumped up charges like they were for Anne Boleyn. She's actually guilty of something. And like, I know she didn't really mean to, but we don't really know what she's guilty of yet. So Catherine's bopping around the castle and like, wait, why is everybody treating me so weird? So this is 51 the year and they question her about evidence of her engagement she immediately denies it but under questioning she crumbles she was a young girl she was described as being fearful and hysterical during this like questioning and the dude who's questioning her is like hey sweetie it's fine like if you just tell the truth it'll be okay spoiler not true it will not be oh okay my god. <laughs> if you what tell a the liar. truth it will not be okay <laughs> oh my god so she's like fine i think that's misleading the witness it really is (laughs) he's like fine he asked me over and over again to marry him and i said no she denied that she ever gave him gifts but she did admit that she had sex with him to these people then she backtracks she's like no i was an innocent young girl 
he assaulted me. Like she's backtracking on Durham. Like he, you know, we weren't ever really engaged. He kept asking me and then he forced himself on me. So this kind of seems like a back step because I don't think she wanted to marry him, but I also yeah. don't think he assaulted her because especially yeah. because she brought him to the castle afterwards. Right. So there's that whole thing going on. So she writes the king a letter and begs his forgiveness. Oh no. In summary, she says, I was young and naive. I have admitted all my faults to you and your people. Also, let's not forget that this relationship lasted four months and it's before you even married Anne of Cleves. Chill, man. Like I was fucking 15. Yeah. You didn't even, I wasn't even on your horizon. You were like prepping to marry another woman. Yeah. When this was happening. But again, I'm sorry for concealing it from you. My bad. So they're not looking to kill her at this point. They don't want to kill her. They just want to solidify a divorce quietly and privately because the rest of Europe is making fun of Henry for all of his divorces. And the thing is, if she had just taken this plea deal, if she had just said, I was pre-engaged to Durham, I lied or I was scared to tell the king, she would have just been, her titles would have been taken away and she would have been fine. Yeah, She would have been allowed to live. But... In one of her interrogations, when she continues to deny this, they're talking to her about Francis Durham, and she slips and uses the name Thomas Culpepper. <gasps> oh. The interrogator's like, "Who? Wait, what? What? The, you mean the fr- the guy who's the friends with the king? Why are we even talking about Thomas Culpepper? That makes no sense." So then they go and search his room and find the letter. No. That she wrote him. Ah, oh, the purloined letter. <laughs> I can't. Poor Catherine. I don't even know if purloined is the right word. I don't but. even know if it is a word. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay. <sighs> Catherine, of course, is willing at this point to throw anyone under the bus, including oh. her best friend, Lady Rochford, who Catherine said threw Culpepper at her. She said they. she brought down Anne Boleyn and she wants to bring down me. She's trying to get rid of my family. Rochford, of course, denies involvement in any of this. She's like, no, but the letter um, showed that she was obviously part of the secret. Catherine never once admitted to having sex with Thomas Culpepper. We don't know if they actually ever had sex. Okay. Okay. We don't know. She mi- I I think they had sex. I think. At least anything but. Yeah. But like I guarantee I mm, yeah, I would think so. I would think so too. All she admitted to is that he once kissed her hand. But all of her ladies and even Culpepper were interrogated and the truth eventually came out cuz it's lying and misleading and all everybody's stories are different and it just looks really bad and Culpepper was definitely tortured during his investigation so this poor guy and you know all the maidens are like we never actually saw anything but we saw flirty glances and doors right. locked and like whatever so Mary um and Culpepper not yes yeah, so okay not Mary Rocham <laughs> The, the lady, Lady Rochelle. Lady Tripp. Yeah. Let Linda Tripp. Linda Tripp <laughs> and Culpepper were taken to the Tower of London. Ooh, that's not a good place to be. It is not. She succumbed to madness in this. She just, she goes no. crazy and has to be regularly seen by a doctor because you're not allowed to execute crazy people in England at this point. And Culpepper's imprisonment was interesting too because in his confession he said look i intended to sleep with the queen 
but chose not to because I knew it was wrong. And he thought that would clear him of treason because at that time, treason meant endangering the bloodline. So he said, I intended to, but didn't. And it was like, are you stupid to say that? Or were you so, did you think if you said that you would get off because the king liked you so much that you would be like, look, I almost did man, but I didn't. (laughs) Trust me. I wanted to, but I I wanted to fuck your wife, but I decided not to. Unfortunately, they decided to change the definition of treason Oh. And uh, <laughs> right, because he can do whatever the fuck he wants. Yeah, because right he's okay. Go, okay. Um, and now it includes the wish or desire to harm the <gasps> king in any way. So the intended to have sex was an intent to harm the monarchy. Mm, he was that close. He so was so close. close. Don't don't fucking give any of that up. Yeah. Don't speak when you're spoken to. <laughs> Sorry about your ears right now. The conspiracy <laughs> was growing really fast in the mind of the king. They were like, oh, Catherine was brought to me. It was the Howards. They were trying to steal my money, like all this shit. So his head is just exploding with fake details. Okay. Are we both recording? Yes. Are we both good? We're here. (laughs) 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 Okay. I think I said, what year is it? (laughs) Okay, everybody. We just had a mild catastrophe. I think it was the word cunt that broke the computer. <laughs> we said it twice. <laughs> <You> said- <laughs> um, while we thought we the entire recording disappeared and we had producer come and fix it. So listen, one in a hundred episodes, he's actually done something. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and today we bless him. <laughs> that was very, very scary. I did not want to repeat all that. And we're so close to the end of her story. We've had to repeat like 10 minutes of a story before. Yeah, but not the whole thing. Never a whole part. And that's the thing. My story is really short. So if it was my story, it literally would not have mattered. But yours is so long and so important. And I'm so and close. And I've been genuinely surprised by so many things. <laughs> I didn't want to lose that. The genuine surprisivity. <laughs> okay, but it's okay because we're back. Okay, okay, we're back. The Tower of London. Not big enough for all the Howards. Of course it's not. They're all, br- they're bringing them, it's tiny. I've been yeah. there, it's small. <laughs> they're bringing them all in. Um, They also didn't want to cute kill this cute young queen for no reason. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, so they start a smear campaign against her to try to turn the public against her, which honestly, it was only 16 months. The public didn't really have time to see her, so they didn't really know who she was anyway. But then yeah. if you just kill her, then it's like, all right, now this king is really crazy. Yeah. Um. So Durham and Culpepper were brought to trial on December 1st in front of a jury. They both pled not guilty, and evidence was brought before the group, and they were both convicted of high treason Oof. with no proof. They had no proof that either of them had ever had sex with the queen. They had conjecture and hearsay and some letters, but none of it ever said anything that could nail down that it happened. Because they were not high-born, they were both given the highest sentence, which was to be hung in a strangly way almost to the point of death and then castrated, (gasps) and then you had to watch your junk burn in front of you, and then they would cut your head off and (gasps) then cut your body into four parts. So tortured. Yeah. They were tortured tortured to to death. death. That's horrible. Exactly. Both men appealed this judgment, obviously, to the king. And the king actually, being fond of Culpepper, granted him just being beheaded. Well, that's nice. He was like, okay, cold pepper, you don't need to go through all that. Yes, Durham, so my boy. Dur- my boy. Durham, you said you were engaged to my wife before 
you can go through all that. I don't give a shit about <laughs> you. Can you go to literal <laughs> earthly hell. Uh, I hate you. <laughs> so, you know, their heads were put on pikes on the London Bridge, as was tradition for anybody who committed treason. So many Howards were arrested and given life in prison and they had their land stripped from them and they were later released because after the queen died, they were like, look, is it really their fault that they didn't know the sex life of their niece? Like, that's kind of weird. Like, nobody really cares about that. Catherine was stripped of her titles in early November, but was still hopeful that she could live. She would, however... She would, however, have known of the death of the boys and the imprisonment of her family, which probably made her go a little crazy the same way Anne Boleyn did at the end of her life. She had frantic mood swings and was like crying one minute and then super angry the next minute. And Parliament was the one who had to judge her because she was the queen. And they came back into session and it was their job to decide what to do. Somebody from the crown came and spoke and expressed their disapproval. Obviously, the crown thought she was guilty. She was given no defense and she was given no trial. And Parliament was really uncomfortable with this at first. They're like, really? Not even a show trial? Yeah. Like, this girl at least deserves that. But Catherine actually requested no trial, believing (laughs) that Henry would show her mercy if she accepted her fate. And I really think he must have loved her for her to believe that. Because she saw what happened to these other girls that he loved, quote unquote. Like, I think Catherine of Aragon, he really loved. Oh, yeah. And like. Absolutely. And and she she didn't die, but she was exiled from the kingdom for the remainder of her life. So I just think maybe she was young and naive. So Parliament then passed a law that um, people who were insane could also be executed so that they could get rid of Lady Rochford, which really sucks. So when the king's men came to get Catherine, she was shocked. They actually had to drag her from her lodgings in hysterics. She was like, you're really going to take me to the Tower of London? Like, you're really going to? I was sure, sure you weren't going to. She's like, okay, where are the cameras? I'm obviously being punked right now. Like, where the fuck is Ashton Kutcher? Like, uh, this cannot be happening. She was dead set on the fact that he was going to let her live, at least. Oh, my God. Um, So they put her in a boat. And they rowed her down the river under the bridge where the heads of Culpepper and Durham were on pikes. (gasps) And then they took her to the Tower of London where she sat for three days. And on the last evening, she asked them to bring a block to her room because she wanted to practice laying her head down on it so she could go out with some grace. (gasps) That's the most brutal thing I've ever heard in my life. It's very sad that this teenage girl was like well if i'm gonna be beheaded i at least want to look good so like can you feel fucking bring it up here it was a cold january morning when they brought her out to the block she gave her last confession which by all accounts she had been up all night practicing and she repented and gave a beautiful speech now there's something that she's commonly quoted as saying which she did not say some people quote this I'd die a queen, but I would rather have died the wife of Thomas Culpepper. She didn't say that shit. That's not (laughs) real. But a lot of people say she said that. She approached the block, repented, gave a beautiful speech about piety and how she deserved this as a fucking teenage girl who's had sex with two people. And um, her ladies took her cloak off and she positioned her head and neck just so. And then, with great mercy, her head was taken off with one swift cut instead of 
what happens sometimes, which is brutal. And that's the best she could have asked for. Lady Rochford was brought out right after her and given the same fate. Their bodies were taken and buried in a grave with traitors, including her cousin Anne Boleyn. Oh, my God. Catherine was not yet 21 years old. Ugh. She was convicted of possibly intending to have sex with a man. We're going to do more into this when we go into the musical six and we do Henry's other wives. But I want to tie her story up with a really pretty bow because it's only fair. Immediately following this, Henry marries Catherine Parr. Then Henry dies. Then Edward becomes king for a little bit. That's Jane Seymour's son, mm-hmm. the only true son he had. When he dies, Mary Tudor becomes queen. She's a disaster, but that's the daughter of Catherine of Aragon. She's a disaster for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> and then after Mary goes off the throne, Elizabeth I becomes queen. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth I was Anne Boleyn's daughter and Catherine Howard's like niece, cousin, niece, first cousin. Second, well, that'd be her second, second cousin. cousin. Yeah, yeah something like that. Cousin. So related. And Elizabeth I decided to become a virgin queen, allowing Henry's line to die out Ugh. completely. And, you know, Catherine Howard and Anne Boleyn's family, the two beheaded wives, got to sit on the throne, and Queen Elizabeth I brought glory back to England yeah. and was an incredible, incredible queen. And, girl, long may she reign. That was the Howard bloodline. Wow. That was not fucking Henry. Elizabeth I is Boleyn and Howard. I have like chills. That's the end. That's incredible. Those two women got beheaded and Elizabeth the first is the one that ended up on the throne. That's an, that's amazing. And it's just a beautiful end to that story. Oh. I didn't want to end with this 21 year old girl being beheaded. Yeah. It has to be that like, listen, her, her, her niece, her second cousin, whatever it is, that's who ended up there. Yeah. Mm. That's the story of Catherine Howard. I'm sorry to ruin your day. Wow. Blown away. <laughs> that was it. I just kind of passed her off as one of the as few. one of the few. And I feel like everybody talks about Anne Boleyn the most because mm-hmm. her story is also crazy. But like that story is bananas. And it's not fair. It's not fair. Because, OK, so I posted about Anne of Cleves the other day on our social media because uh-huh. it was her quote unquote birthday. We right, don't really right. know their birthdays. And somebody and I said, you know, she was lucky enough to keep her head. And somebody on, on Twitter was like, yeah, but really only two of them lost their head. Like that witch Anne Boleyn and that flighty oh. Catherine Howard. Whoa, I mean, excuse me? you could tell it was a British person that was like kind of being oh, a little okay. bit jokey about it. But like <laughs> the witch Anne Boleyn and the flighty girl, Catherine Howard, she's a flighty girl. That's not who she is. Yeah. And I was just like, man, if I wasn't doing research on this right now, I totally agree with you. But I am. So I know that that's not true. So. I think we need more drinks, especially after that stress. Oh my (laughs) gosh, yes. I need another cocktail. We'll be right back. Bye. Okay. We're here. We're here. We're back for part two. We're ready. This is a short and sweet story after that long saga. (laughs) A serious, serious saga, but I'm ready for this story. We're going straight from King Henry VIII to the French Revolution, so it cannot play out well. Well, not quite the French Revolution. We're in the 1600s. Oh, interesting. So we're like literally almost exactly 100 years from Catherine Howard. Oh, wow. Yeah. So do you want to know what you're about to drink? In honor of Madame Lafayette. I do. Okay. 
So you're not going to believe this, but this cocktail is called the love triangle. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we just did a little bit of that. We just did a lot of that. Um, So this cocktail is equal parts, spiced rum, limoncello, dry vermouth. I just did a shot of each. Not a shot, an ounce. Okay. Um, And then I put a few dashes of orange bitters because you cannot have a love triangle without a little bitterness. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so oh, cheers. cheers. Hmm. I really like it. It's interesting. Didn't yeah. taste how I thought it would. No, it tastes more um, like more smooth, almost like it has cream sickleness to it. Yes. Um, but I think it's definitely a good idea to also put some lemon like squeeze. Oh, sorry. You garnish it with a whole wheel of lemon. So then definitely squeeze it in. Throw that lemon. In. I think the orange bitters. Um, and limoncello just in general never tastes like I expect it to. Yes, it, I agree. It does. It's never as sour as I expect it. So, which I love. Yeah. Um, because a, like a lemon drop is hard to stomach. Yes. <laughs> I'll drink it, but yeah. <laughs> so now that we have a drink, what do you know about Madame Madeleine de Lafayette? So she was married to Marquis Lafayette. Maybe. I don't know. No. Not at all. Who's she married to? <laughs> I don't know. No. <laughs> she was not involved with anyone. She is not involved with the General Lafayette from like the American Revolution. Oh, interesting. Yes. Yeah. So I think that was the first thing I realized when I started like researching her. I was like, oh, that's not this person. Oh, it's a totally different person. Totally different person. I see. Yes. That's all. Then I have no idea. Okay, perfect. <laughs> teach me. Teach me. So... This is going to be a short story because there's really not much on her. Um, The most I could get was from like, honestly, like Wikipedia and like some other biography pages. And then I did some like auto translate on some YouTube videos, Um, but they were all kind of saying the same thing. So if I really fuck this up, I'm so sorry. Um, Our listener Kara requested this and I hope that I'm doing this person justice. And I also hope it's the person you thought I was going to do. Wow. (laughs) knows we have we have years and years and years of women we, we have can do so much women so if i did the wrong madame lafayette please let me know um because this one is very important so <laughs> marie madeline pioche de la verne was baptized on march 18th 1634 in paris france we don't really know when she was born but who cares because she was a sinful baby before she was baptized. So um, <laughs> so her name was Marie Madeline, so, so or like Madeline. Um, so I'm just going to call her Madeline, because every other person in history is named Marie. Yeah. So we're going to call her Madeline. Well, a lot, um, I think a lot of Marie's <laughs> went by their middle name, right? Yeah, I think okay. so. So she was the eldest daughter of Marc Pioche, who was an esquire to the King of France and the tutor to some pretty high-ranking people's sons and nephews. And uh, also, Isabel Pena, the daughter of the physician to the king. So they are very close. All around. They're very well off. She has two younger sisters. <laughs> um, they were all, again, just around the royal family and around that kind of world. They were all educated by their father when they were young, learning about literature and architecture and all sorts of shit like that. Her godfather was Urbain de My de Breze. 
so sorry. Uh, he was the Marshal of France, is what you need to know. And her godmother was Marie Madeleine de Vigneron, Lady Combay, later the Duchess of Aguillon. So she's so got a lot of royal she relatives. She has a lot of like noble relatives in her wow. circle. So not royal, noble, but noble. Aristocratic. Very, very noble. I see. <laughs> uh, and that's about all we know because that's pretty much the information that was on her baptism certificate. Uh, there's just really not much about her early life. But what I can tell you is that at the time of her birth, Louis XIII was king. But his road to the crown was a little rocky. So his father, King Henry IV, had been assassinated in 1610. His mother, Marie de' Medici, who's pretty cool, and we should definitely do an episode on her, was regent for four years until Louis was old enough to become king. Then, just after a year after his coronation, he married Princess Anne of Austria. The marriage was only briefly, briefly happy, and the king's duties often kept them apart. After 23 years of marriage and four stillbirths, Anne finally gave birth to a son on September 5th, 1638, and this would be the future King Louis XIV. Uh-oh. So this is just four years after... Madeline is born. So let's keep that in perspective. Mm. The people of France thought that his birth was like a freaking miracle because what in the world were they to do if they didn't have a son? So they had a little boy. He grew up to be extremely spoiled. And because, of course, he again, he's like this miracle. He's being told his whole life that he's a miracle. Um, and when he was four years old, he got the biggest gift of all the country of France. <laughs> so literally the year, never mind. I switched him. She's now eight and he's four and he's king and she's eight. <laughs> oh man. Um, but of course he couldn't rule quite yet. Um, but there was some kind of shady shit going on. And like, so queen Anne is supposed to take over. That's the custom. And then there's this like, group of guys that's like we don't want you to take over like but she had been married she had been married for they've been married for like 20 years okay then no she should have she taken should over. absolutely and taken she's got over. the baby boy she should be regent yes um and they were trying to like push her out basically and she goes you know what i'm annulling his will and she annuls his will <laughs> and takes over as regent <laughs> Wow. So why is this important? Well, when Madeline was 16 years old, she went to work in the palace as Queen Anne's maid of honor, which is like a junior lady in waiting um, because her father had passed away suddenly. So now she is like around all these circles. And uh, I think she was like, my dad's gone. I don't know what exactly happened to her mom. No one was really sure, I think. Um, and she's like, fuck, like, what do I do? And then I think people were like, just become a lady in waiting. Like, just do that. That's her job. Sure. So around this time, um, Louis is 12 and is regent. It's just like a really wild time to be anywhere near this family. But what ended up being a really positive experience for Madeline was being near all these important people in France and kind of seeing how it works, what's going on. So this is a really formative time for her. And soon, because she's around all these famous people, she's under the tutelage of Gilles Menonge, who gave her lessons in Italian and Latin. He kind of becomes her first, like, mentor. So she finds a teacher, and when she's starting to get a little bit older, he is like, you need to, like, 
be out of the palace and we need to get you in touch with like the real people of France. So he starts taking her to the salons. So the salons of French, which were not called salons at the time. They were kind of just like, like read. They're basically like book clubs, like, yeah. like extreme book clubs. Who did you do a long time ago who somebody did that with? They were like a wealthy Ooh. person who they were like, you don't need to, what you need to see is this, the real people. Fuck. I don't remember. I can't remember either. It was definitely somebody who was a noble and not a royal. Yeah. Maybe I didn't. Was it Princess Diana? I don't know. Maybe. I can't remember. It was I, maybe so- it was her because remember she was like, no, I'm going to live in like a real apartment. Oh, in yeah. London. Yeah. That maybe it wasn't it. Somebody's teacher was like, no, you need to stop it and like come on along. If yeah. you've listened to that episode recently, tell yeah. us. We can't <laughs> Let remember. Us I can't remember anything. <laughs> but that this I black out before. every Thursday <laughs> night. Seriously, <laughs> and then producer makes us yeah. Um, I, That's his real job now. <laughs> I can't. Um, yeah, I can't remember. But this is a it's a narrative I've heard before where there's a teacher who sees this overprivileged child and is like, listen, you could really understand if you would just see the people. Yeah, hmm. exactly. I love that. So he starts taking her to the fashionable salons of Madame Rambouillet and Madeleine Descuderi. And I feel like we always say salons, but I am going to give you a definition because, again, this story is short. <laughs> so a salon is a gathering of people held by an inspiring host. So during the gathering, they amuse one another and they increase their knowledge through conversation. So like every time you're at my house? Pretty much. So we have salons every Thursday. (laughs) And sometimes more. And sometimes more. But we don't record all of them. No. Um, Yeah, we have Sunday salons. We're so enlightened. Um, (laughs) And so enlightened, or as we say now, woke. Woke. (laughs) And this is a really interesting time because this is around the time that they started. So the 1600s is like when these groups started coming around. And the Salon of Madame de Rambouillet was one of the first and most important ones. So as we know from existing in the world, women are not always listened to. Really? And the salon was a way... Do you have anything to back that up? (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Can you give us a little proof? Uh, Where's your data? Um, (laughs) And the salon was a way for women to change that. It was a chance. It gave them a chance to like stand up and say, not only am I going to present you with an evening of stimulating conversation, but I'm going to lead and moderate it. Because again, like it's a conversation. So people are like, talking over each other in these spaces like but when the hostess was like okay i'm changing the topic everyone had to listen because she's the fucking host she was like tonight slam poetry yeah and it was just (laughs) (laughs) followed by a rousing bit of ska um (laughs) yep i (laughs) Jesus Christ. I didn't know that like the dancing people do at ska concerts is called skanking. Did you know this? I didn't. Tell me more. (laughs) I must know. I mean, skanking. It's called skanking. And like someone was describing they're like, yeah, you just kind of like move your elbows up and down and you kind of like kick and squat. Is that a chicken dance? I was like, that just (laughs) sounds like the worst dance at a wedding. I don't understand 
Yeah. So apparently it's skanking. called skanking. That's also what, what Catherine Howard did was called. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it all comes full circle. <laughs> um, so Madame de Rambouillet or Catherine Vivon, which was her name, uh, was known as incomparable Arthenis. And Arthenice is an anagram of Catherine, so she was known as the incomparable Catherine. Are you are you going to change your name? Do you think probably to Arthenice? Yeah. I think I should. I think you absolutely should. <laughs> uh, but I feel like for me, since mine is Arthenic, <laughs> are not thick. That's, that would be my anagram. <laughs> Aren't I thick? Aren't I thick? Yeah. Mm. Perfect. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, so the reason that her salon was so successful was all due to just her. She had a genuine kindness and a lack of prejudice that enabled her to entertain princes and princesses and these literary people with all like the same grace. Like she was like, I don't give a shit who you are. You can come in. You can learn. You can speak. And if someone's being shitty, I'll quiet that down. Like everyone just enjoyed being around her so much. And she also made it just a physically nice space. So she arranged the former Hotel Pisani for the purpose of receiving her guests. Oh, my God. Are you just describing your house? Everyone enjoys <laughs> yeah. being around me and I receive my guests. Exactly. I think it's perfect. <laughs> I think it's an apt, apt description. <laughs> and so basically she had taken over this old hotel and she had kind of devised like suites of small rooms so guests could kind of move around. And if you were like, hey, I really like what you're saying. Can we have a private conversation over here? You can do that because there's room for it. It's and like it's a okay. breakout room. Yeah. And like, it's just this. And again, she's just kind of throwing like these kick-ass house parties because that's the, everybody knows that's the best part of a house party is when like you find someone and you're like, I don't know you, but let's go talk. You know what I'm saying? I fucking love that. As long as it's mutual. As long as it's mutual. <laughs> yes, it's yes. Sometimes you get trapped. Sometimes you get cornered and it's <laughs> and then you have not to, so fun. You have to talk to the worst like, person and you're making eyes at everyone that walks by and they're like, I'm not saving you. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, damn, I just cracked open this beer and you're like chugging it. So you'd be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I have I to grab to a drink. Another I drink. have to grab a drink. Oh, you have to drop it and be like, oh, oh my God. Party foul. Party <laughs> Foul. So I need to get a new drink. I broke I'm the so seal. Sorry. I broke the seal. <laughs> I have to go pee now. The ultimate, the <laughs> ultimate excuse. Um, because again, it's her job to make sure that guests were having a good time and feeling like they're in the heart of the action. And like the hotel was, she also just made it like absolutely beautiful. Like, so she would bring them into these rooms and they're like blue with like all these like really cool decorations and wall hangings and people just are having the time of their lives. So Madeline and she runs it for 30 years. She runs the salon scene. I mean, this reminds me of the beginning of Crazy Rich Asians where the matriarch comes in and mm -hmm. they're like treating her like shit and then she's just oh like fine i'm gonna fucking buy the hotel anytime i hear about a like a woman in that era like owning shit like that it's just yeah. like well really fuck you because also everything yep mm -hmm. i don't know if that's a real quote but <laughs> <laughs> well really fuck you because also everything doesn't make a sense but i like it i like it it's a t-shirt so Madeline is coming in and she just loves being in these environments. She's surrounded by all these incredible intellectuals, writers, artists. And I think she's like, oh my God, I am surrounded by like real fucking people. 
and this is incredible. And then she became related to one. <laughs> so her father, as we know, passed away. And her mother married a man named Renaud de Sévigné. And he was the uncle of a woman named Madame de Sévigné, who would become a fellow famous French writer. So she's really famous for her letters. I was kind of confused by it. But either way, she's also a famous French writer. And they are like lifelong friends. Like they have a lot of letters back and forth between each other. So like we know what they're thinking. And there's also like a period of time where... Like, there's a lot going on with uh, Madeline. So then she kind of, like, drops off and, like, the other girl's really upset. But there's, like, a lot of drama in there. But, like, again, there's just, like, no information <laughs> that I could actually put into a story. So on February 14th, Valentine's Day, 1655, Madeline married Francois Mottier. Comte on Valentine's la, Day. Mm -hmm, Comte de la Thiette. So... He is a widowed nobleman who was 18 years her senior. Wow. Good bit older with whom she would have two sons. So she did eventually have two kids. Now, I don't know exactly what was going on between the two of them, but I know that at some point she was writing to someone and she said, I am so convinced that love is an inconvenient thing that I am happy that my friends and I are free from it. So... I kind of feel like she was like, this is a nice guy to settle down with. I like him. I don't love him. But like, I care for him. And like, this is a good move. It's a safe move. You that's know? so sad. It's settling. It is. The, she's the, absolutely the, settling. The earliest form of settling is like, well, at least I can deal with him. Yeah. At least like the person I have to be forced to be with and am legally not allowed to divorce. Yeah. At least I can deal with them. Yeah. So they get married and they move to the countryside, but she was always traveling back to Paris <laughs> to reconnect with the salon culture. She's like, that's where my people are. That's where I want to fucking be. And she especially loved to hang out with her sister-in-law, Louise de Lafayette, who was a great source of rural gossip because she's not in the castle anymore. So she doesn't really know what's going on. Um, but Louise does because King Louis the 14th was super in love with her. <laughs> <laughs> I'm obsessed with anybody named Louise. I know. So Louise and Louis, uh, <laughs> like he's pursuing her and she's like, no, you are the king. This cannot happen. And she was like so afraid of committing adultery with the king and like being tangled up in all this shit. She ends up moving away and joining a convent. You mean because somebody had a brain? <laughs> yeah. She's like, I'm not getting my head chopped off. Yeah. She's like, I think you're kind of a wild card. So I'm not going to get involved with you. Uh, actually fucking the king is dangerous. Yeah. So that we all know that is not just like some regular peen. Yep. Mm -mm -mm -mm. <laughs> Stay away so... from monarchies <laughs> at all costs. <laughs> So and any president with the last name Trump for, for real um, and possibly Clinton, but not the, <laughs> but not the female. Half. <laughs> so in 1659, she moves permanently back to Paris without her husband because she's like, I do what I fucking want. <laughs> I think she was just like, all right, I had my kids. We're good to go. I'm going to move to Paris. And he's like, OK, I think that they were just kind of cool with like. Being married, but not being controlling. Like, I think I married might have been work associates to them. Yeah. It's like, we're, we're in this. We're, we're doing the normal thing. Yeah. 
I legitimately think it was like more of a business deal of like, hey, we should get married. And he goes, okay. But they never had any grand expectations of each other, which I kind of like. I wonder whenever that happens, if one or both of the people in the relationship were queer in some way, but we Mm. didn't have a way to describe it at that point because you didn't feel like, I think a lot of times controlling nature happens when you feel like you're supposed to own someone. But then if you feel like you don't own that person because you aren't actually lusting after them, there becomes a totally different relationship. That's actually, I mean, it's played out in sitcoms. Like my grandma wants me to get married. So I'm going to fake marry this woman. But it's like, that's something people actually did. Yeah. No, actually fake married other people. And it's like, obviously you can't write that onto this guy, but he seems pretty accepting of his wife just being like hey we had two kids together but also like I feel like living my own life yeah which is really really cool either he was really really cool or just not that into her yeah or I just don't know the story because it's in French so hey, hey, either way hey um hey if you're French <laughs> if you're French if you're French you know, can you please uh let me know um so she moves back to Paris uh and when she moves back, she has been such an established part of the salon scene that she starts her own salon. <gasps> it was very successful, and she connects with all these people, such as um, Princess Henrietta of England, the future Duchess of Orleans, Antoine Arnold, a very well-known French Roman Catholic theologian, philosopher, mathematician, and who would be one of her very, very closest friends, mentor, confidants, Francois de la Rochefoucauld. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. There's a lot, lot of letters in that name. So many consonants. So many. <laughs> um, and she's around all these people. She's back in Paris and she's like, okay, I've been writing for a while. I'm going to actually publish one of my works. So in 1662, she publishes her first book, The Princess of Montpensier. It was a short novel, just 142 pages. Is it a fiction? It's a historic fiction. Okay. So, uh, my favorite. I know she publishes it under the under the pen name T Jolly, but because of course, like you know, she doesn't want to be like I'm a woman writer because they'll be like throw her in the cage. I mean, even still, Um, even still, but it was significant because it was an early example of a historical fiction. A book set in a very real time and place with very real with like some real characters, but ultimately fiction. Like, is this like it was it just becoming a thing? She kind of started it. <gasps> She's the Mary Shelley because, of historical fiction. Kind of. Yeah, because they kind of I, th- I think other people had been doing similar things, but it always kind of went to this supernatural realm of like, Yes, this is a fictional story, but there's a fairy and a witch. You oh, know? my God. Break my heart, Katie. I know. I love a historical fiction. I know. So, and I think some other people were doing it at the time, but then, like, this book kind of comes on. It's not her most famous. We'll get to that. Um, but it was a significant book. A few years later, in 1669, she publishes the first volume of a Spanish Moor romance named Zadie, which was followed by volume two in 1671. Of course, all published under a different name. Actually, this one was published under a friend's name, so she didn't get credit for it for a long time. But her big break came in 1678 when she published her best known work, The Princess of Cleves. 
You're kidding me. We could not have. I mean, you were kidding I'm, me. No, kidding. Allie, I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know anything about this woman. I thought we were going to be talking about the French Revolution, oh and we're God. not. We're talking about the Princess of Cleves. <laughs> oh my God. That's why I was like, was she a princess? <laughs> okay. That's I cannot believe that. I know. Anna I know. Cleves. I know. This is set towards the end of the reign of Henry II of France. Madame de Cleves, who has married the Prince of Cleves. So she wasn't originally Cleves. So this is like a little separate. She becomes This is why you quizzed me on Anna this Cleves. Is, yes. <laughs> I was so confused. I was like, like why is Katie so prepared? I was like, why is Katie so interested about the Anna Cleves? <laughs> I was like, I know a little bit, but because I actually did watch like two or three YouTube videos <laughs> specifically about Henry VIII so I yeah. could get the whole story in perspective. Yes, yes, yes. Because yes. I was worried about like <laughs> my <laughs> the cookie cutter effect. <laughs> I did a lot of karate you just then. About my, my side questions. <laughs> um. <laughs> wow. Okay. Wow. I know. I know. I know. So Jesus. Okay. Tell me. The book is set towards the end of the reign of Henry II of France. Mm-hmm. Madame de Cleves who has married the Prince of Cleves, falls in love with another man, Uh-oh. the Duke. Mm. They meet and talk, but never do anything. Never okay. do anything more. I want to make that clear. But of course, things spiral out of control. There's a lot of misunderstandings, and the story becomes a wild tale of like jealousy and just, again, misunderstandings. <laughs> I... Allie, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> You're you making write- faces at me, <laughs> and I know. We'll get to it. The book. <laughs> I'm broken. You broke me. I did. My ticker's not working. <laughs> the book is commonly referred to as one of the first psychological novels because <laughs> Was the she book, writing The Twilight Zone? <laughs> the book, like women, has some very nuanced themes. So the thing that made her book different was you get an in-depth look at the characters' mindsets, oh, their fun. faults, their mental states, and what what things that happen to a person does to a fucking person's mind. So the entire book revolves around this love triangle. There's internal monologues. There's internal okay. monologues. Perfect, yes, perfect, of perfect. course. Ooh, ooh. So the entire book revolves around this love triangle, which is not a new premise for a book. But mm-hmm. what makes mm-hmm. it different is that it shows what mental duress can do to people. So, of course, I've not read this book. But according to Gradesaver.com, <laughs> which is like a, you know, Bobo spark notes kind of thing. Hi. Um, one of the main characters, the Prince of Cleves, dies from insecurity because he knows that his wife is in love with another man because the story kind of progresses and he kind of confronts her. He goes, are you in love with this guy? And she says, yeah, I am. She goes, I'm in love with him, but I don't want to leave you. I'm still committed to you because the whole book is about like where your honor lies, where your duty lies and where your heart lies and the struggles that come from it. It's kind of like internal love triangles and being shown in external love triangles. And most importantly, though, this book sparked a ton of really public debates because the Prince of Cleves dies from heartbreak. That's part of the story is like she's like, I'm not leaving you. And he's like, it doesn't matter because like you don't love you don't love me the way that you love this other person. And he dies from heartbreak. And 
the debate was like, should she have even told him? Should, should she have denied? Because was it worth him dying for her being honest, which is still a debate today. Like if you cheated on your partner and you never want to do it again, it was a mistake. Is do it worth you tell it? them? Yeah. Do you, t- if you want to stay with that person, do you tell them? Do you destroy their entire life? Yeah. Do you blow everything up because of one mistake? And that's the thing. Like the girl in the book didn't even make the mistake. Right, like she was like emotional again, emotionally cheating, but nothing happened. But then you like you put you end up putting it on. The problem is with telling them is that you put it on the other person because exactly. then they have to decide whether to stay or leave. Yep. So it's almost it's like it's selfish to tell them, but it's selfish to not tell them. I know. So and, just and stop this is fucking what is cheating. happening in <laughs> France. France is like torn apart by this book. They're like. We've all been having affairs forever. Is this what people are thinking when we have affairs? Like what? (laughs) And it's like completely blowing people's minds. And there's also a feminist kind of twist at the end, though, because her husband dies of grief. And after being involved in this horrible love triangle, she's free and her husband dies. She's free to marry the Duke. She stays alone. She stays single. She leaves she joins a convent just like Louise, de, just like Louise Lafayette. She's like, I don't, you know what? I wash my hands of it because this is destructive. We could never have like anything because it's tainted. And again, it's kind of, but I also, I just think it's like a real power move of like at the end of the book, she makes the decision. She's like, no. I don't want to be with you anymore because it caused my husband to die. Us being even associated with and each I other. And I did care for and him. And I did care for him. So she joins a convent and she stays single, which is like just, I think, again, it's not the normal end to the book. You know I, what I'm saying? I love an end of a book that's not predictable. I know. Give it to me. And there is an absolutely beautiful modern retelling of this story. Kind of similar to 10 Things I Hate About You is A Taming of the Shrew. <laughs> in France, um, Christophe Henri made a film in 2008 called La Belle Personne or Beautiful Person, which tells the same story, but it's kind of set in a high school and it looks really good and it has Lea Seydoux in it. It has, um, I can't remember his name, but he most recently played Joe March's love interest in the most recent um little women which i can't remember his name what is his name in that he plays the german professor i don't I, you know i don't know actors names um so anyways or character names um <laughs> but so that's like the modern retelling so if you want to watch it it looks really good but what i think is so fascinating is that you can so clearly see the influence of the royal court and the things that happened to her and around her in this story but she's taking all the fluff stuff that's happening and she's like, but I also know how re- real people think and feel because I've been a part of these salons and I've been having these real conversations. So she's like, let's take it down to that more personal level. And I want people to relate to this book because things like this happen to people. Well, there's something about an author that can make you feel like you live in the story. Yeah, absolutely. So even though the, it's written anonymously, she is so pleased with the book's success and the tizzy that people are in because no one knows who wrote it, which is like another mystery. She like, it's really wild That's what this fun. book does to France. Um, but 
shortly after she publishes it, she falls into a deep depression because her dear friend, Francois de la Rochefoucauld, <laughs> I don't know his name, um, he dies. No, the I one know. she's been friends with for like mentor. a really long time. Yes, this guy that she's like, you were like my... My confidant, of course, like and like they literally just had like a really nice fucking friendship. It's kind of like Clara Schumann and Brahms. Right. And he probably just like he probably edited her stuff and like read it and was like, listen, this sounds good. This doesn't sound good because you need somebody to bounce ideas off. You do. You do. And then after this. Her husband dies Mm. and they weren't super close, but it's still a bummer because again, she liked him and she respected him. And it's almost like that's the guy she was writing about in the book. I know it. No, it. Yeah, it absolutely is. And she said after all this loss that she just kind of said, well, if God wants to take me, he can. And she just kind of became really isolated. And she passed away in 1693 at the age of 59. Wow. She had a few works published after she died and she'd actually written like this really amazing biography of Princess Henrietta of England. So like <laughs> that all kind of came out afterwards because Henrietta of England was like reading her writing and talking to her and she's like, you're an incredible writer. I want you to write my biography so that people can connect with it. And then Henrietta's like, who me? <laughs> who me? <laughs> who me? <laughs> you yes. wrote a book about me. That is my life. Um, <laughs> so all this kind of comes out. And, uh, you know, she kind of remains in the public, you know, knowledge or whatever for a bit. But ultimately, she'll always be credited for her groundbreaking work, which is still read over today, analyzed over and over again, and has caused multiple genres to branch off because this was the psychological novel. Now we have all of these different kind of subgenres of that because of her. What is that's the story of Madame Lafayette de la Lafayette. I had no idea. I know, me neither. She's I pretty really, cool. I really like that story. <laughs> I feel like um I feel like I wasn't expecting that. I didn't know what to expect. Do you know what I mean? That's that that was the thing when I kind of started researching her. I, like and it's it's kind of a shame that we don't know more about her. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, we can still read so much into an author by what they put into their work. Oh, so my gosh, yes. I'm happy we got to kind of dive into the Princess of Cleves um, a little bit. Again, I haven't read the book. I was literally just reading Spark Notes online. So <laughs> hopefully, hopefully my analysis is on the right path. Um, but yeah, it just seems like a really cool book. And it really shook, shook France, shook it up. Um, so now that we've told these stories, we need to talk about these two women in the little segment we like to call just the two of us. I mean, wow. What a weird connection. Wow. I mean, in general, what a weird connection. The, the cleaves thing, the triangle thing, the relationships that are broken thing. Also their beginnings, like from noble families, but not royal. They were both handmaidens to the queen. Like they literally had almost identical upbringings. We don't know their birth because they didn't fucking matter before they mattered. They like, didn't. And it's so wild to me too because France and England hated each other so much. So I love telling each other stories about this time in history because yes. they really really for centuries <laughs> have hated each other. Even still you can tell when an English or French author or singer or somebody kind of takes a little dig like you can hear it. It's mm-hmm. fi- I mean it is all over 
Harry Potter, the way yeah. that Flor Delacour is portrayed is very aloof it's and very French. anti-french exactly absolutely and it's just interesting that even if it's just little tiny things that these two countries are so similar be- because of the monarchies i think that's <sighs> what i'm blown away by is that yes. as a child i was raised to want to be a princess in this democracy where i'm quote-unquote free yeah you know yeah. and and it's just being a princess is torture oh it, it's torture and Look absolutely at these stories. Is. it's torture yeah and the thing was what they thought was going to change their life was proximity to the royal family and it wasn't in it either it story it made their life like and that's the thing it made Catherine howard's life so much worse because she didn't know she didn't have that mentor to be like turn away <laughs> turn the fuck away no because and, fucking uh, madeline had that someone was like i'm gonna take you to see real people don't don't worry about social climbing here and it's it's wild because the thing that that historian said is like the only thing in her life is that she accidentally yeah became the queen consort it's like if not she probably would have married Durham. they yeah. would have had little babies they would have been happy off to the side and mm-hmm. instead she had her head chopped off at 21 no absolutely Well, and I think that that's the interesting question we have to ask here is like, when is settling the legitimately safe thing to do? Because if she had settled, she would not have been murdered. And Madeline, she settled and everything worked out fine. Like it was okay. Like now that women have more options, (laughs) do I think that we should be settling left and right? No, but sometimes if it's okay for you then fine also when marriage was slavery yeah settle yeah (laughs) settle Settle for the safest thing and i liked the idea of um a new relationship or a briefly happy marriage because that's something that came up in each of us there is a honeymoon period like even Catherine howard was like i'm gonna try yeah i'm gonna try to be the queen i'm gonna try to like love king henry the eighth like He's obviously gone through four women before me, but like I can at least do my best. And then it just like turned out shitty. But that brief period, like I like that in your story, there was still this mutual respect after the honeymoon period was over. Well, and I think that Catherine Howard kind of had a, a piece of her that was like, maybe I can change him, which I think every person has been in that type of relationship before of like this person's kind of a mess they've been through shit but like maybe I'll be the special one to bring him out of it or to bring them out of it or whatever and like I'll be the one that turns the ship around and unfortunately like a lot of times it's not true sometimes it absolutely works but I think that Madeline had an eye for those types of things. She's like, Oh no, (laughs) I think she just had such a realistic perspective that like she never had high hopes for like relationships. Yeah. And I think, I think part of the problem is Catherine's hopes were too high. Yeah. They absolutely were. I know for a matter of fact, she could have gone into Henry's bedchambers and been like, 
listen, there's this man, Durham, and he's saying some really bad shit about you and, like, torturing me and, like, being really awful yeah. and, like, saying really mean things. And he would have had him killed and thrown in jail immediately. She could have covered her tracks. Yeah. King Henry VIII murdered a shit ton of people, not just his wives. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. wait, a lot. But she was not playing the deck because she was a baby. Yeah. She didn't get the chance to do... You know what I mean? What mm-hmm. Madame Lafayette did because she never made it. Yeah. No, you're so right. She just didn't. And she, they also like were at such different ages when like their lives kind of changed. Yeah. Again, I think it was that pivot away. And I think there's sto- like the story that Madeline told and the story that Catherine Howard lived just showed like the troubles that affairs cause because in both stories, things fucking fall apart and like people get hurt. And the thing was, when it's happening to Catherine Howard, it's all seen as flighty gossip. Like, did you hear she was having sex with this guy and then she got her head chopped off? And the thing that Madeline did with stories like that was she took them to the very personal, personal note. That's what you did with Catherine Howard's story. You're like, it's more complicated than that, actually. Yeah. Like, because you can have emotional affairs and it all breeds from this like also like these feelings that people don't want to acknowledge because you want to stereotype people you want to be like Catherine Howard was a slut and that's it but you're actually not asking the questions that Madeline brought up like what was her marriage like what was her situation like what had happened to her before how old was she that internal monologue that Madeline provided I think changed the way people felt about affairs because it brought real people into it because still to this day, Catherine Howard is not thought of as a real fucking person. No, she's, I mean, she's thought of as a tramp. She's, she was queen for 16 months. And I think, you know, Lafayette, she gave, she gave everything she could to really try to tell people. And, you know, just the fact that her story is about, you know, the princess of Cleves, like, maybe she and we know she was what like how many years after that 100 100 exactly 100 she's she was probably fascinated with the story of this king that had these six wives the way we are today yeah everybody's fascinated with henry the eighth everybody wants to understand like how did he get this power to allow divorce and this that and the other and she probably was too and she was like listen this there's real stories here that need to be told because there are women who both are and are not making these choices and it's scary and it's hard and there's more than one person involved which makes me think of the fact that she was not a puppet at all Mm -hmm. and I think Catherine was at least semi a puppet yeah for the Howard family they just picked the cutest girl and made her the queen yeah no I definitely think so but I think that that's like the power of writing is like you can like rewrite history. A part of me loves to think of Madeline looking at Anne of Cleves and being like, you're more than just like an ugly girl that the king didn't want. Like I would love a story where like she's like taking that back and being like, no, the princess of Cleves deserves respect and deserves love. She's the center of this torrid love triangle. So like... I would love to think that she rewrote her story to give the Princess of Cleves some sort of like 
no, I am a real person the way that other women throughout history have just not gotten, including Catherine Howard. And I think that's the power of writing because you said in the very beginning of your story, every historian tells Catherine Howard's story differently. They all have the same manuscripts. They have the same diaries, the same letters, but the spin they put on it paints her in a totally different light. And that's why female historians, female authors are fucking important. Because if we only had white male authors, which all of our history books are made of, then like we're only getting one perspective. And I think that that's the kind of lesson I was taking home from all of this. It's the one that she was the floozy that cheated on the king instead of what Madeline provided, which is there's more than one side of the story. Absolutely. And there always is. Yeah. Man. So good. Wow. That was so fun. <laughs> what a great connection. I love it. I love it. Okay. Perfect. So, Allie, I think it's time to toast. I think it is too. Who would you like to toast this evening? So, I, I really struggled to with this research and tonight with not saying that Catherine Howard was sexually assaulted because I'm just not sure. Um, right. So I just want to toast to all the people who aren't believed for any reason because she did openly say it in a confession and I don't want to not believe her yeah. just because I read a couple facts about her. So I'm kind of I'm kind of apologizing for myself and also being like you should be believed regardless of when in history it happened or yeah. what happened. So mm-hmm. that's who my toast is for the people who aren't Cheers. believed. Cheers. I am going to toast Madeline and the women of the salons of early France for retelling stories that needed more nuance and for creating spaces where men couldn't mansplain. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers. All right, Allie, we have come to the end of the episode. What are you enjoying in pop culture this week? I am dying to know. You should be dying to know. So <laughs> I just, okay. So I never know if I'm saying her last name right, but Mickey Guyton is that country singer who just recently became famous, but at the American Country Music Awards, I think I texted you the link earlier in the week. You did, and I didn't watch okay. it. Watch it soon. <laughs> I meant to watch it, and so, I didn't. She sings this song, What Are You Gonna Tell Her? That's the name of the song. Okay. And the whole premise of the song is like, what are you going to tell her when she finds out everything you've been telling her is wrong? And it's oh. like presented towards your daughter. Yeah. Like, what are you going to tell her when she finds out she can't be president or that you're not going to believe her when her older brother's friend touches you and like this, that, and the other. And she's an African-American country singer, which is already different. already. Yeah. Very already different. different. And then, you know, she also wrote a song about black lives matter or maybe didn't write it, but performs it. And, yeah. um, just recently there was a male white country singer who said like in an interview, like, I think we have a lot to learn, like blah, blah, blah. He was just saying really fucking normal things. And he's now canceled from country culture. Oh my God. So she came out at the American country music awards and, or the Academy of country music awards. I don't know what the fuck they're called. And she (laughs) sang that song. Wow. And it was brave. It's really brave. It was really brave because everybody knows she already does that song, but to come and perform it at a time like this in a country like this on stage, 
is like she was saying like i don't care what you're gonna do to me this is how i feel which is incredible like good for her good for her that's so scary oh my god yeah and And like her live performance isn't great (laughs) (laughs) like it's good it's not great so like i would suggest like listening to the actual song on youtube just type in what are you gonna tell her and the like official video will come up okay I mean, it's an emotional song, so I'm sure it's hard to perform. But if you need a good cry. Oh, wow. <laughs> it is. a. It's I do sometimes. It's so. th- three minutes of of true tears. Yeah. Maybe I'll put it on um, when I go home tonight and you then should. I'll just cry. And then you'll all just the keep way. backing it up. You will. You will. OK. What do you have to promo? Because that's it. Just a song um, this week. Not a whole series. Mine is not going to be as meaningful. Um, so is it rolling pennies? No, no, no. <laughs> that was really important to me, Allie. It is. I'm happy for it. Um, I watched this movie for the first time last night. And if it's not Independence Day, leave the room. <laughs> it's not. Damn. But it's also just an Oscar winning movie that I should have watched a long time ago. Allie, I cannot, I cannot tell you how much I was blown away by this movie. It was the funniest movie I've seen in a long time. It was so good. I'm on the edge of my seat. <laughs> what is it? My cousin Vinny. <laughs> I, so my best friend Paige and I, we started having like movie nights where we like make dinner together and we watch a movie with fiance and uh, we made pasta last night and we watched my cousin Vinny because I thought that it was like a New York gangster crime drama. <laughs> I thought it was like Goodfellas. That sounds right. And I could not believe the actual contents of this movie. It was so good. And you had just recommended Cobra Kai. And I didn't <laughs> know that Ralph Macchio was in this movie. <laughs> so the connections were unbelievable. Marissa Tomei is just a gem and she's a queen. Perfect. She's absolutely perfect. And I kind of want to go as her for Halloween now, but my hair is not short anymore. So anyways, go watch my cousin Vinny. It is on, I think Hulu. Um, you will not regret it. Everybody watch Everybody it. Everybody watch it. It's so good. And Joe Pesci is just, God, mwah, chef's kiss. <laughs> the perfect God. He's so great. He wears a leather blazer like the whole time. Okay. Anyways, great movie. Really, really great. Um, that's it. Like us, rate us, like us, us, rate us, review us. We we got one person who one? mentioned buzzards, and that's the thing. You don't even have to know what we're talking about with the buzzard. You can just be like, this podcast is like the comedy is Buzzardous. ravenous, like a buzzard <laughs> on a carcass. I love it. Exactly. You know, put it in more positive light than that, maybe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but just mm-hmm. you know, even as you're going, I'm buzzarding with excitement over yeah. this podcast. Like us, um, rate us, review us. <laughs> We're gonna send you something, yeah, especially we'll send you something. So if no, you say buzzard. There's no reason not to do it. Um, even if you literally just put in parentheses buzzard somewhere, I'd be happy. <laughs> um, <laughs> but do all that, Allie, also known um, as buzzard. <laughs> <laughs> My roommate Buzzard and I were listening to Herster on the Rocks and we loved it. <laughs> um, just lie. Just lie a bunch. Um, anyways, thank you for listening. We really appreciate you guys. We're having so much fun with these requests. So thank you, Kara. And thank you, Sazzle, Sazzle under, 42. under 42. We love you both and we really appreciate this episode. So thanks again. And we want you to never forget that well-behaved women alphabetize their spice rack. They do. And they rarely make history. <laughs> Bye-bye. Goodbye. You know what's so weird is I haven't been able to find cumin anywhere. Hey,
You've been listening to Her Story on the Rocks. We are independently produced by 1986 Entertainment and proudly recorded in Baltimore, Maryland. If there's a woman in history you would like us to cover, you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com. You can also message us on Twitter or Instagram. We post all of our cocktail recipes on Tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us. See you next week. Bye.